0: As vegan and plant-based business owners and entrepreneurs, we're often adapting to a new reality. This new podcast series from Vegan Mainstream is an opportunity to help you when it's time to pivot. These interviews will come from inside and outside of our community, and I hope as your host, Stephanie Red Cross West, I can inspire you and give you the tools that you need to move forward. And welcome to our interview series here called Pivot. We love to spend a good amount of time talking with individuals inside and inside our vegan community that have learned how to make changes in their business, in their environment, and in their organizations. One of the things that we believe is one of the most challenging parts of being a business owner is being able to adapt to the environment that's around you, being able to make, as they say, lemonade when you've been served lemons. And this year, when we think about 2020, a lot of us have had maybe a surplus of lemons these this year. And the idea is I love to bring examples of people who have found a way forward and maybe help them Uh, maybe have them help you by providing not only some of their experience, but what they have learned. So I'm excited for our guest today. Eugenia is going to be here talking about her pivot story, her transition story, and specifically about transitioning the support that she does as far as people transitioning to a plant-based diet, but how she did it in this digital space going from, you know, maybe a planned process of doing a lot of this work in person to transitioning it to an online space and how... Eugenia has made it work, how she's grown it over time, and also potentially tapping into what her future plans are as we look at 2021. So welcome, Eugenia. I'm so glad to have you here today with us.
1: Thank you for having me. Excited to be here.
0: Great. So let's do a little bit of background. As anyone is joining today and they're thinking about their business, thinking about things like helping people transition, go plant-based, this is a big Big thing for many of us because we see the world seems to want to embrace some of these dietary changes, really embrace the idea of maybe transitioning their lifestyle. So there seems to be a demand for it, but there's a little bit of different perspective on you know learning online as opposed to in person. So I'd love for us to spend a little bit of time and hear about your experience with that. But before we dive in, maybe let's give everyone a little bit of background. Let's explain, you know, how long you've been vegan and, you know, what's been your journey to now, especially professionally, what got you to where you are today?
1: Sure. So my journey started when I moved to New York to go to Columbia for nursing school. I went to become a family nurse practitioner. Um, After the first year, I did the program where I got a second bachelor's BSN in one year uh, so it's two years of school in one. So it's really crazy. All of us had awful food habits. Like even if you exercise, it's just impossible to... Out exercise, a bad diet, and by the end of the year, I was feeling so awful uh, that I uh, I had tried a couple little diets, looked into various stuff, and one week, I think it was after I I was uh, for several weeks eating a lot of meat. It wasn't necessarily keto, but I was just eating a lot of meat. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And um, I just went grocery shopping, and I was repulsed by any animal products, and that's really <clears throat> good for me because I love. I love steak. I love cheese. Like, those are my favorite foods before. And so I got only just happened to only get that. And I ate the whole week and I didn't starve. I would kind of figure out stuff to eat. I felt really good. And I started, and honestly, that was what made me look it up. I, I didn't, I don't think I even knew the word vegan. I just started looking like, do you need meat? Do you need cheese? And the research just kept piling in. And I discovered all these documentaries and books and, the, uh, the China study book was what came was really what just nailed my scientific brain in mm-hmm. and then while I finished my schooling in Columbia so the next two years, I was shocked we never talked about nutrition we never talked about preventative um, preventative lifestyle changes. It was like maybe 15 minutes and the entire two-year program was yeah okay you know what's the first line for anything hypertension diabetes um, cancer it's lifestyle changes. But then it was always okay. Three six months of lifestyle changes, and now let's dive into what you're really going to be doing, which is prescribing medications and adjusting them and doing labs. And that was really frustrating. So I, um, you know, graduated. I learned what I needed to learn, and I started practicing. And I still practice to this in the same place to this day. This will be my fourth year uh, in the Bronx and okay. it is uh, very difficult. It's like the hardest job I'll probably ever have in primary care. It's uh, they're the least healthy uh, County in all of New York state. Mm. We have high, everything from like uh, uh, transmissible diseases to uh, preventable disease from lifestyle. So a lot of people could benefit pre- from preventative nutrition. So I, I, within just a few months of just making sure i understood just the basics with medication and was comfortable with that i started approaching every single client about lifestyle changes like i would spend i would i would portion my time so that most of the time was spent talking about lifestyle and I only had 15, 20 minutes of patience. So wow. I was, I got really good at it. <laughs> <in my opinion. laughs> it is there, right? Yeah, I was like, okay, okay, let's let's get the foundations down. These are the foods you need more of. These are the foods you need less of. I used Dr. I think it's McDougall. He has a green light, red light, yellow light system. I was like, okay, you want your yeses and nos? Here are your yeses and nos. Um, mm-hmm. And in 2018, towards the end of 2018, uh, or sorry, 2019, I was... Um, all of 2019, I was trying to convince our chief medical officer to start a comprehensive nutrition program because we had one nutritionist. We still have one nutritionist and we have five primary care sites, thousands and thousands of people come through. Our, uh, we are their primary care providers. Mm-hmm. And yet we have one nutritionist who wow. will probably see you once a month for 30 minutes to 45 minutes. And then you don't see them for a whole nother month. And you know there's no real like system in place just generally like you see one on one it's not a very sustainable way to change none of us would really unless you somehow got some revolutionary aha moment from one visit one session that, yeah yeah that's not really it's very
0: difficult us. to change yeah with that much yeah
1: of- yes. so yeah so i um i basically i i mean you you want your audience wants to know how to overcome challenges my first challenge was even like starting it um yes. I was not trying to hide that I was promoting plant-based. Every clinician at my organization knows that I am vegan. I try to use the word plant-based to try and make it not so. It's more right softer
0: to I understand that.
1: Yeah. yeah and but, environment mm-hmm. and, but, but we, we knew know where you there. were going. <laughs> Say that again?
0: So, but we know where you were going. We were going yes. to vegan. Yes. Yeah.
1: Uh, and so, yeah. And, and so it, over the course of a year, Uh, I kind of wore down my CMO basically was like, I'm gonna, I'm not, you don't want to let me hire anyone. I'll do everything. Um, there's no, there's no overhead costs. It's just, you need to give me time. Your overhead cost is my salary that you're letting me take hours to create this program. Um, and then every, you know, him and other providers, their issue was, who's going to want to eat plant based in our community? People don't have enough food uh, to eat. They don't have enough money to buy food at the end of the month. Sometimes um, they don't. Uh, their cultural food is really meat heavy and cheese heavy. You're going to be offending them. All of these reasons. When uh, when I did the research online and looked at research studies, research studies disprove that over and over again. That it doesn't matter your cultural background, there's uh, vegetables and fruits and whole grains are still part of that. And you don't have to, and, and the, the point of, you don't have to tell people you have to exclude things. You can just yes. minimize. So you don't, you never have to really even say, you know, there's a food that's totally off the menu forever. It's their choice if they decide to. Um, so anyway, long story short to get to the, you know, what things I adjusted during COVID, but I got a yes. And then I uh, applied for a grant um, to fund um, in-person cooking classes because I was trying to find a way to do this uh, to engage people. And I couldn't quite think of a free way because just getting people to come into the clinic. So I did actually get my own funds, small amount, from mm-hmm. Veg Fund, which is amazing. And they're amazing. And everyone yes. should... Uh, who has any ideas about how to spread the plant-based message should absolutely apply to VegFund. I didn't even know other clinicians even got uh, funding through them. I just thought, I know I want to do this. I totally uh, promote their mission. And so they were the ones who first believed in me and gave me the funds to do this. So we started out – so the program was, just like you you implied in the beginning, entirely in-person classes. My whole draw was I will give everyone a sample of a plant-based meal during the class. It wasn't always going to be a cooking class, but no matter what, everyone would get a bite of, like, you know, banana, blueberry, oatmeal, or Mm -hmm. three-bean chili, or, like, anything. And I had to – You're going to
0: win them over with flavor and taste and texture.
1: when I tell people what they need to eat, their first uh, thought is, oh, I'm going to be eating bland food for the rest of my life. Or you want to cut out oil and and sugar. Like, this isn't going to be good anymore. I don't eat rice without oil, you know. And so I really wanted to just break those misconceptions. And it was going all right for the first, you know, January 2020, February 2020. The numbers weren't as high as I wanted, but I knew Mm -hmm. it was the beginning. And we're only getting the max I had in a group was seven. So, uh, and the room really could only fit 10. So I was almost at my max anyway. And then COVID hit and we had to actually totally stop because, uh, we, I was, I was, uh, pulled to be working in a nursing home. We have a really large portfolio in my, in my network and we have a nursing home with, you know, really a high risk patients of COVID. There was a COVID outbreak, absolutely, as in pretty much every nursing home mm-hmm. in, in at least New York. And um, so I worked there for four months. So okay. that was pretty crazy. It was like pivot, stop. And then when I was able to return back, I returned back in June. I had my day and a half of preparing for this program and I didn't know what I was going to do. So I racked my brain, Zoom. We all had access to Zoom because we were doing telehealth through Zoom. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Zoom was the natural next step. Now it was how do we do you want me to keep going? Because this is this is like the whole story. <laughs> no, the story's
0: good. The story's good.
1: Okay. So um, yeah, so like okay, we haven't even hit the challenges yet. So yes. Zoom, okay. So our patients had only started, not everyone had even been seen by our clinic yet. So post COVID, a lot of people stayed home. A lot of people just didn't go in at all. And okay. We were in the middle of trying to figure out how to help our low technology, um, difficult to even call to confirm an appointment population. They Mm -hmm. change their numbers all the time. I don't know. There's a million reasons why, but we even have patients who just literally every month that they come in, they have a different phone number. So it was really hard to even uh, track our patients down and get them to not just physically come in to do a virtual appointment, let alone log on when we were on. So Now I had to get multiple people at the same time on a call to watch a video. And that was, I didn't even know. So I first, I I, I recruited one other staff member, a medical assistant, who ended up uh, having to leave for family medicine, medical reasons. And so I was basically on my own after the first two months. But she and I, we called every patient. And we were like, That
0: sounds like a lot of work to call each and every patient
1: but I didn't know what else to do. And so we called every patient uh, and, you know, we would get one yes out of every 10 calls and then we would, we would feel good when we had like, let's say 10 confirmed. And then the call would happen and I would even have her call them all an hour before and two people would show up.
0: Yeah.
1: I was like, Oh my goodness. Like all that work, all those hours of calling people, people promising they're going to be there. People who even are like, when you're like someone's primary care provider, they feel there's just like a level of gratitude that I feel from people that I don't need, but like that's just that just comfort people. If you help yes. them and you <laughs> tell them I'm doing this project, they really they want to like be there for you. They feel like they're supporting you. Yes. So you know I I know that they genuinely wanted to be there, but for one reason or another they weren't showing up. up. So I so, how did you overcome that hurdle? Yeah. Like, did, is it
0: just time? Eventually, the word laying oh. out, know, people getting excited about it, or how did you overcome that and yes. be able to increase your attendance?
1: Two and a half months, nothing improving. So, I was just racking my brain. I swear, I was thinking about it first thing in the morning. I was thinking about it. When I was going to bed. I was thinking about, like, what do I do? So, I asked them, of course, that's the first thing you do. You ask your audience, what can, we, yes. what can I do? What can I mm-hmm. do easier? And they're just, I kept hearing, I just forget about it. You know, like, oh, we talked to you. Like, even if I talked to them two days before, but I was never telling them more than like four days in advance, they would yeah. forget about it. They'd be like, oh, something came up with the kids. You know, I know you called me in the morning, but I forgot by the time it was happening. So I was like, well, it's literally impossible for me to call everyone 10 minutes before the call starts. And then I was thinking, okay, maybe I can text them. If they're able to hop on Zoom, they're probably text capable. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, let me go ahead and try texting them, uh, text everyone works. from your phone, even though you copy and paste it. Oh my gosh. Such a hard, such hard work too. And you have to type in each number cause you're having different numbers. Oh my gosh. So I did that. Uh, um, well, so uh, I'm getting more attention and mm-hmm. I am getting access to people in the organization that didn't even know existed. I didn't know we had a media person. I didn't know, um, I didn't know any of the people who did data at my organization, so now I am um, kind of buckling down on the data. So I uh, we're going to have a page on our website now to refer people. Uh, so and, and it'll be very similar to Bellevue's program. Also, they were actually one of the programs that I pitched to my CMO to say this program's in need. It's the only other similar program. It's in Manhattan. We're in the Bronx, okay. um, and then we are going to collect data. On all patients that have attended uh, through this data system that we have, and we'll track outcomes so that we'll be able to demonstrate that to other grants to internally to show providers that they refer to us. So here are the actual data of actual patients. Um, and then we're starting Spanish classes. So uh, there is another nurse practitioner that. Uh, works with us and she has expressed a lot of interest about learning about nutrition. Again, we don't learn it in schools. MDs don't either. And so I've been kind of answering questions as I go, sending her um, my resources, you know, nutritionfacts.org, PCRM, you know, all my favorite resources <laughs> that all of us know. Um, and so yeah, and love and are so grateful for and couldn't know all this information without. And she was telling me, I mean, I, I just had the thought she's Spanish-speaking, and she was telling me that she wanted to even read um, "How Not to Die" in Spanish, so she would know the words in Spanish. And I said, "Well, you know what? Um, it would be really great if you actually taught patients in I Spanish. Guess, you know, yes. you can do exactly what I'm doing. I just I speak very limited Spanish. I can get through a basic interview, but I cannot tell someone how to cook like chickpea masala in Spanish. That's just not my level." And so she, yeah, she was really excited. And uh, yeah, and so I think the more people you can bring in in your organization that want to contribute, the greater the excitement spreads and your impact is greater because like you might have these skills that have gotten you this far and that are, are, you know, are the reason that this program even exists. But to get to the next level, you need other expertise, uh, other ideas that you may not even possibly imagine that you need. So I am sure that she's going to have some ideas for the program that I've never even thought of that I may not even think works. But we're going to try because she's another person that can bring their own special gifts and, and skills. So
0: I love that. And I think that's the key of like building something great or building something that's impactful is a lot of times it may take one person like yourself to really push it forward and get it to a point that people take notice that people really pay attention and create that process. And then being willing to kind of share that glory with others so that you can make it even bigger so that you could maybe do, um, offer it as, you know, for multiple Facilities to be able to make it kind of into the the dream opportunity where you know you may have four or five classes in a week eventually or even something right. one day and the idea is that bringing other people in collaborating and then being able to offer them classes um, Spanish speaking classes I think is brilliant so I'm glad that you're not only finding a way to make this happen, but finding a way to continue to expand it, especially in this environment, which has been a little bit difficult and challenging for for a lot of people. So I guess one thing I would love to do as we kind of wrap up our time today is any advice that you have for people, because I feel like what you did is you kind of took that entrepreneurial mindset and brought it into this role, you know, not necessarily this is like your small business kind of kind of feel because it's you know a piece of pulling out the work that you already do, but anything that you would recommend to anyone out there that's trying to get a project like this off the ground, whether it is cooking classes or whether it is another type of project or idea of that resilience that you had and patience that you had to push through. Any recommendations that you have for anyone out there that is trying to start a anew during this time?
1: I mean, the things that come to mind seem so obvious to me, but I guess I'm just, I'm just a testament that it works, is that um, if, if your project's uh, existence depends on somebody's permission, then find out what they are motivated by and what their goals are, whether it's, um, you know, uh, increasing the bottom line or if it's, um, so my, my leader is actually fits into the demographic of the types, of, like his background is from the demographics of patients that we treat. And so for him, learning about the health outcomes of the health benefits was actually a pro for him. So, um, you know, showing that patients from low income, environment, low income, I wouldn't say housing, but it's not low income, but people who are low income can still benefit hugely from plant-based diets and it's not more expensive. And I gave him even journals that I just brought him for him to take home and look over. And I know him and his wife looked at them because his wife is really into that stuff too. So just finding a way to connect with the exact person that you want to connect with is worth it. (laughs) Um, And then uh, obviously, uh, just and so, and then the second thing for me that was definitely, and I think this is going to be for everyone, is making sure that your program uh, doesn't lose money. Uh, Because the bottom line is, if you make your patients healthier, they're ideally not returning back to you, right? So um, you don't want to sell that point, but you do want to sell that on the way there, uh, you'll be helping. You'll be helping, uh, you, the patients will be coming in more often and then, uh, you'll be getting more referrals from outside of the organization. That was, that's like a very personal to my, or, my program, but. Um, sorry, I feel like I explained that yes. really scattered. No, no, no. I think <laughs> I know what you meant.
0: Yeah, It's not that... It's, it's aligning the goals, meaning you okay. want to get people healthy, you want to get them good outcomes, but at the same time, the organization wants to stay afloat. So the question is, how do you get those goals to come together? So if you are helping people if you can create enough referrals, then that creates a, a, a common goal between the two. They're not they're not fighting against each other because right. if they're fighting against each other, it's hard for this program to continue.
1: Right. And then yeah. the more people you can get on board, the better. So if you, you know, if you somehow, I know we're not getting in the room with too many people, but every time I was in the room with anyone who remotely could possibly understand anything about the program, I would tell them about it. So anyone that I've seen in the last two years in my clinic knows that I'm plant-based, knows that I I want to support plant-based diets, that I want to help their patients become plant-based. So- just keep talking about it because you never know someone who might be able to have sway in a room that you're not in or can give you an idea, even if they can't do it. There's been so many people who I didn't even think could possibly do anything to advance the program, but I'm just so excited about it, talking about it all the time that it just, that they ended up being able to give me their, their feedback or connect me to another person. So, uh, just Always be networking. I know these are all so generic, but it works. Always be networking. Yeah, but I think we need reminders
0: sometimes. And then also I think a lot of people struggle with how much should they talk about it in their job. How much should they talk about it when they're talking to people? Because they don't want to become like the, you know, the plant-based police. They don't want to feel like sometimes they get labeled as like, oh, you know. Here's Stephanie showing up with her plant-based stuff again. You know that thing I think sometimes people get concerned about. So I love that you are showing that it's important to speak, to talk about it, to not hide that because if you want people to be aware of it and you want people to go on the journey, they have to be aware that you are an advocate for plant-based um, lifestyles.
1: It doesn't. It doesn't work if you. Yeah, you can't be planning to be the leader of, you know, the the representative of this program, but also be very covertly plant-based and covertly. You want to be aligned how people see you and the position that you get, because then it's, it's just a big question mark. If I approached my CMO and told them I wanted to start a nutrition program and I'd never, ever talked about how important nutrition was to me, that would be a much harder conversation. I would have to spend a year telling him, my qualifications of why because again we don't get nutrition education in school. So yeah, I never got was questioned about my qualifications. And I don't have to prove anything because I've been talking about it forever. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I love that. I love that. So I think this is such a great example of how to not only bring it into your workplace how to talk about it, how to get people um, excited about it. And like you said, it's not always the things that sound like, oh my goodness, this is a brand new idea. I ripped the plastic off of it. No one's ever thought of this before. It's the idea that sometimes we have to do these things and do them consistently. We have to do these things and make sure that people can count on us. Because I love that you said, you know, I picked a time and date for my cooking classes, and I did them every single week at the same time. Because I really do believe in that. When you mix up times, when you move things around, it's hard for people to be consistent and it's hard for people to almost make time in their schedule for what you're doing if it moves around too much. So I really think a lot of this is just consistency, 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 consistency in messaging, consistency in delivering the service and being resilient in making sure that you know sometimes things don't, you're not able to pull it off the first time you launch something. Sometimes it takes a little bit of maneuver, takes some text messaging. <laughs> it takes some aggressive text messaging to help you get where you need to go. And I'm really am excited to let people hear the story. hear um not just the great work that you're doing, but also hear about your success because not only is it success in getting the message out, but it's also success in helping people. Thank you. So thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I'm so glad we had a chance. I'm so glad we had a chance to do this live and offer it to everyone. And just in case, if someone wants to get in touch with you, learn more about what you're doing, do you want to give them, I don't know if you have any contact information or social media accounts that they should be following?
1: Yeah. So I do have a social media account um, because I also do uh, I work with private clients to uh, specifically to do plant based weight loss. since that tends to help with all the things, diabetes, hypertension, uh, arthritis, uh, cancer prevention. So it's uh, it's pretty easy. It's just uh, my handle is Nurse Eugenia. And my name is E-U-G-E-N-I-A. So Nurse Eugenia. And you'll find me on Instagram and my website's on there too. But I post tips on how to lose weight from a plant-based diet. And then you can always contact me if you have questions about starting your own program. I, I love to help anyone anywhere in the world to start a similar program.
0: Perfect. Well, thanks again. Everyone, please make sure you reach out to Eugenia. Not only are we proud of you as far as a leader in our community helping make this movement move forward, but also, you know, it's great for anyone who needs some tips and advice. Even us vegans at times need some help because um, it's easy for us to pick up some bad habits or carry our bad habits over into our new vegan lifestyle. So it's great to know that we have someone like yourself as a nurse who can give us that perspective and also has the experience with offering these classes and helping others. So thank you again for being here. I really appreciate your time. Um, and thank you everyone who has watched this, whether you watch this live or a replay, or you're listening to this on our podcast. We really appreciate it. We love to hear your comments. We love your thumbs up and loves and likes. So feel free to do that on these posts, nudge, nudge. And I look forward to seeing you in our next interview. Bye everyone.